Greetings, good people, and welcome once again to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I am your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And today we are talking about that most beautiful and elusive thing that people call the good life. Q Kanye and T Pain. Oh, I, I should say the old Kanye. I should say the old Kanye. Indeed, another another time, another place. Yes, <laughs> man. Uh, but yeah, so this idea of the good life, many people say it's what they want to live, what they want to have, what they are working for, what they have been planning for as long as they can remember. But precious few people seem to have a clear idea of what the good life or even a good life really means or what it looks like. And today we're going to dig into some of those thoughts and questions about what is the good life? Are we living it? If not, how do we? And what stands in our way of pursuing that beautiful thing? I, uh, I as we talked about this topic and, and focusing an episode on it, I, I started to think about what I used to believe about what a, what a good life was. And of course, it took me back to college me, who was uh, very invested in the idea of uh, having a lot of money commensurate to uh, the engineering curriculum that I was going through. Um, but it wasn't only that, it was, it was uh, having the things I wanted, right? So uh, being able to get a nice place, being able to have a nice car, uh, being able to uh, be in uh, a relationship with the, the woman that I wanted at the time, right? So um, all of those things to me constituted uh, what a good life was. I don't think everything um, that I, I considered was as vapid as that though. Like there was a clear understanding of, uh, the value of being close with, um, very close friends and, and the, the, uh, our proximity during that time and how easy it was to, to end up kicking it for way too long, uh, and being together. So even now it, it, it strikes me that, it's so important to have community, like a good life really is one that um, is lived together with people that you love and care for. Um, and it's made me question a lot about what we have accepted in terms of being so far apart from each other, right? You know, close friends living across the country and you see them once a year or something like that. And it just, that's, it doesn't feel like that fits in with um, the way things ought to be, perhaps. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think um, in growing in my understanding of, of what is possible and what uh, can be good, um, I'm, I'm definitely thoughtful about what it means to, to be um, sharing joy with my people. Man. You, you, you hit on something I think is really important, the idea of sharing joy. The way I thought about or imagined the good life when I was younger was profoundly oriented towards what is good for me. It was, in many respects, a selfish pursuit, whether it was the, I'm majoring in this thing so I can get out here and get some money, uh, but also the recognition as I look back of, well, why were you trying to get money? Cause bro, you didn't have any. <laughs> yeah. And so in a real and practical way, there's the, there are these desires that are animated by um, an interest in not staying where you are or in the state that you're in. Uh, but also this concern for, I think trying, trying to live into the kinds of ideals that we're often, uh, presented with an American life and culture, uh, which is very much a culture of, uh, very much a culture of consumption, very much a culture of 
get what you can and cash is king and Mm -hmm. very much a culture of validating what is at times our selfishness and greed i think (laughs) back sometimes to how some of my most joyful moments in life in the the good old days which uh, as they say you know if only there were some way to recognize that you're in the good old days while you're in them I look back to the times when I didn't have much when I was, you know, living in like a four bedroom apartment with, you know, three other other homies. Um, But we had these moments that we shared that were really great and beautiful. You know, even back when I was surviving during the, you know, the summer (laughs) between, uh, you know, between academic years on like the five dollar lunch special from the local. A Chinese spot downtown right Come on I, now I like I remember just still having this deep sense of joy that was bound up in relationship like I didn't have much and I was aspiring to have more but when I stopped to think about it I made so much out of the little I had in ways that have often been harder to reproduce and replicate now that I've got a little more, now that I'm a little more comfortable in some respects. Yeah, I, I think one thing that I've noticed in just about the pace, uh, and perhaps this was uh, really a, a combination of pace and just an inordinate amount of stress that was taking place during grad school. But grad school, I was, I was pretty broke. Like it was pretty bad. Uh, during that time, but I do remember uh, just the close community during that time and what it would look like when we put our all of our little bit together and how great all of our little bit would would, would make uh, a party or a get together or a kickback or, you know what I'm saying? Like all of those things would, uh, you know, I don't want to name the the cheap liquor that used to be on the table. Well, I'm uh, the Paul Masson that used to be on the table. Look, we make it work. We make it work. It wasn't great, but we make it work. Um, but you know, when everybody brought their little bit and you're just able to share that 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 joy um, and that that value of being together, right? And um, man, the 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 thought that um, so much of the trajectory that we're taught our lives are supposed to take on um, moves us away from that. And the, the freedom to, to be in those situations, you know, you talk about, you know, living with your, with, 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 you know, three of your, your, your homies. Right. So like, Mm-hmm. As I as I even think about that, and I don't think it's necessarily sustainable because there's a time and a place in life for that, right? Um, but that level of closeness is not something that I think should have should only be in that time, right? Like mm-hmm. I still desire that that kind of closeness with uh, my good friends, and so um, I'm really I'm really thoughtful about these norms that that we're taught this kind of common knowledge even the idea that um i know i was taught that you you go off to college you move away right um from your family to pursue opportunities and uh, for 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 quite a few years i've thought about the operative uh function of doing that is really moving you away from your your center, your culture, your 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 place where love is, right? And mm-hmm. it robs the community that you developed in of your expertise, your talent, your your thought, your passion, because you're just going off somewhere else and taking it somewhere else, right? Um, and so, just all of that in the context of just thinking about what is what is true, what truly is the good life, what is what are the the markers of a, a life well lived? Um, what types of things should we question about what we've accepted um, 
in terms of what we should be pursuing. Mm-hmm. This idea that we have to leave in order to pursue the good life is, I believe, one of the critical deceptions we fall into. Because while I can understand this notion of, okay, go to college and explore and find your your path and go and do new and exciting things, I think there's certainly a place for adventure and a place for exploration, a place for discovery. I also believe that wherever wherever we are, there we are, which means where you are, if you aren't able to cultivate a measure of joy and connection and community, then it doesn't matter how far you keep chasing or searching. Now, I will say every new situation presents us with a variety of, of challenges. There's a, there's a learning curve. It's not to say that the good life is a thing that is always easy to achieve, particularly in light of the various challenges that arise for us in this life. But what I am reminded of is that I have, I've had this, this acute awareness that I know I can handle whatever changes come in life. If I, you know, if I'm moving from place to place, you know, and for me, at least, you know, choosing a career in academia has meant moving to various places has meant being flexible about where I land and having the, the wherewithal to get my bearings when I land. But what comes to mind for me is that when you land, okay, you can't just go into isolation. You can't just go into your bubble. You actually, I believe, can't really pursue what we would call the good life unless there's some vulnerability involved, unless you leave yourself open to the fact that the good life is a life lived in community, in connection, in operating together. And, and community has made all the difference. I mean, I think about when I first landed in Ohio, I didn't really, didn't really know anybody. I knew the, uh, you know, I knew my sort of a direct supervisor here from my job. Uh, but I didn't, and I like knew one other person like who I was working with, who I'd known uh, from our sort of, you know, academic grad school years, but I didn't, I didn't know folks. We didn't know each other. I, <laughs> in fact, like some of the folks with whom I have spent some of the most significant time over these past, you know, several, you know, what, almost four years that I've been in Ohio. Um, it's. I'm like, wow, I didn't know those people when I got here. And I didn't, you know, leave behind all my other friends, all my other people. But it was like, yo, when I got here, I was able to build a community that has directly informed what good life looks like for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the necessity for that always uh, to be a part. I think I think there is a part of our pursuit of the good life that is definitely wrapped up in what we imagine our purpose to be, um, the value of the work that we do or the things that we bring into the world. And I'm, I'm careful around that because I don't think that we were created to produce. And I don't think that that, that producing things is, is what um, gives us value. But I do think that there are, um, there is, there is, purpose and value in what we can create um, and the types of, of uh, dope things that we can bring forth, right? So uh, that our experience within these relationships, our ability to uh, create opportunities for others, our uh, chances to explore uh, scholarship and, and uh, come up with new ways of thinking all add richness to you know, our experiences and our communal experiences. Um, so I think 
exploring is always good. I, I think one of the fears that can get built into that is what you may lose in the process of exploring. Uh, and that's something that's challenged me a, a little bit too. Um, feeling like the, the idea of leaving is uh, deeply um, connected to losing something, right? Losing that sense of community and connection. Um, but um, man, I, I, I do think that living a good life is about like a level of exploration, a level of chance taking, but it's also necessary to be intentional about the cultivation of new relationship and the continued care of uh, more seasoned relationships, right? Ones that we've invested with in over time. Um, not saying that, you know, our relationships don't have seasons and our communities won't transform and evolve as we move forward. Um, but I think if we are too caught up in the part of this pursuit that leads to our own gain, that we stand to lose so much of that communal richness that really makes it possible for us to enjoy our lives. That's that's really that's really it. There is <laughs> so as you were talking, I, I got to thinking about, and this will um be a reference that only people of a certain age will get, but <laughs> there used to be this this television show. Uh often I would often catch it on like on Saturdays when there was just nothing on network TV and it was just okay, the TV's on, what are we gonna do? Uh, but a show called uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, hosted by Mr. Robin Leach. And in this show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, I mean, the, you know, the title was pretty much what it was about, <laughs> showing you the lifestyles of rich and famous people. This is how they live. This is where they vacation. These are the kinds of things they buy. This is the stuff they do for fun. And I remember watching it with a kind of sense of awe and amazement like whoa these things are unbelievable like who has that who can afford that it was just so far beyond me and then as i got older and actually got to know some people who weren't necessarily famous but certainly came from money i realized how that's always a double-edged sword and you know don't get me wrong i'm not going to be the person to say you know money money they say money can't buy you happiness like well if you believe that give me your money and <laughs> let me see let me see how happy i'll be with it right um but um money answers a lot of things you can get some stuff done you can make some things happen if you got some money in the bank uh but it does not guarantee a joyful life like you can have so much money and be sitting by yourself lonesome wondering like mm, who really rocks with me like for me or because i got money because i have status because i have wealth um and you know the be the beauty of my life thus far is that uh i know definitely this no one is in my life or is my friend <laughs> because i'm wealthy <laughs> i have a wealth of friendships and relationships no doubt yes. um but I also know that that's the kind of stuff that sustains us beyond the illusions. Like a lot of stuff looks great from the outside. A lot of things uh, will convince us that, oh, this is what the good life is. And I ain't saying, listen, you know, if you got, if you got money to, you know, get a mansion or buy a supercar or do whatever, go to some crazy vacation. I mean, do it do what you're gonna do like I, i'm not i'm not pressed about what people do or don't do with their well i am a little bit but <laughs> but but at the end of the day i ain't pocket watching i'm not i'm not concerned about you know what you do with your personal stuff on that level but i do challenge folk to think about what is it that we're actually in pursuit of that it often <laughs> is just being mediated by a lot of stuff yeah, a lot of or, you know, for folks who are like, you know, cute and bougie, like, oh, well, you know, I like experiences more than things. OK, cool. Great. Whatever. Still 
spending money, still doing things like still stuff that requires a measure of uh, status and resource to be able to do. Um, and like, there's a weird, I don't know. It's, there's, it's always a tension for me because I like nice things, but I also feel at times there's a kind of weird fixation on the idea that value and worth and dignity are about access to those things, to those resources. Because I'm like, mm, that don't quite feel like it either. The, the lifestyles of the rich and famous uh, reference brought for me, you know, visions and afternoons spent watching marathons of MTV Cribs. Um, yeah. <laughs> and getting to see, you know, how folks were living. Now, the... Two, two notes there. Red Man episode. Hilarious. Bruh. Did not try it all. No fronts. Like, hilarious. Fantastic. And he still lives there, I think. <laughs> but the other, the other side of that was realizing years later that some folks were just, like, renting out a house and showing a house that was not theirs or, you know, cars and stuff that were not theirs. Just front, straight up, like, pretending right um and so there is this um idea of an illusion right and in and an investment in the illusion and it doesn't have to extend so far into you know being an entertainer entertainer or a famous person uh who rents out a mansion um i think that there are illusions that we invest in too right so um even as we are um pursuing what we deem what we may deem as a good life um i'm really i'm really thoughtful about um not creating a good life for myself that necessitates someone else not having access to one because we have to ask real questions about who is deserving of a good life and if there is a necessity to earn a good life, is a good life just something that we should have because we are human beings and every human being has dignity? Or is it something that we have to work to earn? That's a critical question. And what comes to mind for me most immediately is, no, I don't think it should be a thing we have to earn. I think the dignity of human life ought to demand and require that, yes, goodness be the sort of ground floor of how we choose to engage one another, how we choose to communally set a standard for this is what life will look like. This is what people will be afforded in order to live with dignity and a sense of connection and belonging. Too often in our hustle and grind culture, we are given this idea that the good life is a thing to be worked for, a thing to be chased, uh, a thing for which we are in competition with others. And that it's a zero sum game, that if I'm winning, someone else is losing. And the honest truth is, I think many folks are okay with that as long as they're winning. Because if I'm winning, I don't have to worry about who lost. I can, and it gives me a kind of safeguard to insulate my sense of self, my sense of my work, my sense of my status from those who I think shouldn't have it, don't deserve it, aren't on my level. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, and the stuff all like just feels very weirdly capitalist in a completely unchecked and uh, unrepentant way. Like folks seem to genuinely joy in certain notions of exclusivity and gatekeeping. Because I wonder sometimes, would we want the things we want, would we care about the stuff we do if it were more accessible or as part of what makes a certain notion of the good life desirable, the fact that it's exclusive, that everyone can't have it, 
that someone has to go without. And that if we flaunt it and we got it, you know, it ain't bragging. We just backing it up. Yeah. It's this notion that the ends justify the means, um, which is deeply broken because I think we can all um, think of examples of, of where uh, that mindset fails. I, I, I think even it's even ingrained in us early. So I can remember being or having family members talk about not giving um, money to um, folks who are uh, panhandling or um, homeless folks, right? So, um, and there being this um, implicit, if not explicit explanation that their condition was of their own making, that they didn't work hard enough or they made bad choices along the way that led to um, this outcome of them being out on the street or at an intersection asking uh, for for money. And this idea of, uh, you know, they could go get a job, they could could earn for themselves. And as I've matured and and learned some things myself, I've realized that, you know, there's, what what I what I now see, I should say, is the the decay that is present within a society that accepts uh, this as a legitimate outcome for people, where they they cannot have enough, and that that's okay. And uh, I know a lot of explanations there. Um, we'll we'll talk about mental health. Uh, we'll talk about folks who are. Um, well, they, they've done good things in their lives or they've, they've worked hard enough to earn a certain position within society that we uh, would uh, deem valuable enough to not be in that position. Uh, and they still end up there, right? And those being the arguments for why um, we should not um, judge every homeless person that we see uh, as having chosen to be in that position. And so I think of an example of um, that I heard of uh, someone who's a former professor whose wife passed away, went to a deep depression and then uh, wasn't able to pay bills, fell behind, stopped working and ended up losing everything. And that being the explanation of their homelessness. And I, I even would push back against that characterization because there's some idea that this is an acceptable outcome for people in any way. And so as and having, having done previously a homeless simulation, which maybe makes feelings about the design of that, but the, what I came away from the uh, experience with is that I realized that people, if you look a certain way, or if you are panhandling or something like that, don't treat you like you're a human. Folks don't talk to you, folks avoid eye contact. And if you go through long periods of your life with fe- folks, actively trying to deny that you exist. What does that do to your psyche? How does that change you and change how you feel about the world around you and um, undo your desire to build and create for yourself or to fight hard enough to get out of a, a very difficult hold that under any circumstances would be difficult to navigate, right? So just the idea that we accept this and that, you know, having a good life in this system is dependent on whether you can do good enough work, valuable enough work to be in position to have one. It just, it just fails any logical evaluation. Folks are remarkably okay with a lot of terrible things provided they are happening to someone else. Mm. Mm. And that's a sobering thought that a lot, a lot of, a lot of the, the social and economic and political ills that exist today are because folk are okay on some level with those things existing. And the degree to which we can insulate ourselves from those problems then begins to shape our perspective on the world, begins to shape uh, our our politics, begins to shape our 
personal economic policies. And at the heart of it, I just sometimes wonder, why do people hate people so much? Like, why do you despise the poor for existing and for you having to acknowledge that existence? Mm-hmm. How does it feel to gaslight a person's entire life? To say that you're not here, you're negligible, you don't matter. Even as I go through all sorts of maneuvers to dodge having to acknowledge the fact of your existence and the Mm -hmm. fact of your conditions and the fact of my discomfort. Because if they don't exist, why are you so uncomfortable? And and, and if anything, this discomfort, this maneuvering is an acknowledgement of the thing indirectly. It says, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't really want to deal with this. And I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic in this way. I understand that for many, there's a, there can be a profound sense of helplessness that just yeah. freezes people in place and think, well, there's nothing I can really do. So let me just do nothing at all. And I don't think the, the, the solution is making it all about personal responsibility. Um, cause I, I cause I, because I see too often how people resort to that is that, well, you know, if everyone just solved their own problems, I'm like, well, isn't the point of community that we help one another do these things? Uh, and so for me, it's it like the good, why does, why does or should the good life come at the expense of others' well-being? Like, it, for me, it's a, it's a profound failure of imagination. Yes. When your idea of good life can only be a zero-sum game that says, if I get this, somebody else is going to have to take the L and that's, that's okay. And <laughs> what's really sobering is to stop and think about how many folks laboring in obscurity make possible the quote unquote good lives many of us enjoy. Because there's, there's this thing going around social media. Uh, and I, I didn't, you know, go through the whole Twitter uh, thread or what have you, but uh, it was a sign at, I guess it was a Panda Express that was saying like a general manager made $69,000 a year. Um, and then a, a professor retweeted it and was saying that their salary was less than that. And we get into these discussions about which work is more valuable than, than you know, fast food work. But, you know, yeah. There's a line wrapped around the McDonald's in the morning for a reason. It's because it's a valuable role in our society for you as you are rolling into your office to be able to get your McMuffin, right? Like there's there's a reason why there's so many people in that line. And so the idea that that work doesn't have value, again, fails the logic test. Like we can't do this thing where we're fighting each other about at, within the same class, we're fighting each other um, about how much we're given access to when we are not each other's enemy. That person who's managing that store that you go to to eat, evidenced by you taking said picture and posting it, right? Um, yep. Is making it possible for you to be able to have access to it. So the, the devaluation of their work it's problematic. And it's like, it, it is, it, it's revealing. It reveals this desire for us to elevate our own work uh, to a place of having greater value than others so that we can get our measure of what we believe the good life to be. Fact of the matter is this. <laughs> a- average person, uh, you know, working at a fast food joint or, you know, even we, we, can, we can even be, uh, you know, slightly bougie and say, uh, you know, fast, casual establishment. I guarantee you they're serving more people <laughs> daily <laughs> than I do in a week. Mm-hmm. And I don't think my work is unimportant or negligible. I think it's, it's valuable. Um, I'm also very aware that the kind of work I do, its value isn't primarily 
in uh, the generation of capital and the generation of wealth. And as such, a person who is managing the means of uh, wealth production, uh, the means of labor, uh, you know, well, not labor organizing, but organization of people's labor in a given space. (laughs) I'm like, well, I get why that particular value is assigned to it. I'm also pretty sure they don't have, uh, you know, don't have summers free from uh, from teaching responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they don't get, you know, the same kinds of, you know, breaks we get in the academic life. And, and there are just trade-offs to all sorts of things. But as you said, the, the fundamental issue is, fam, we're, we're at each other's necks. And meanwhile, the powers that be are standing on both our necks. Come on. So who who looks crazy in this scenario? Us. Right. <laughs> so they're like, look at you over here. Like, man, because my, my thing is, and, and, and if anything has exposed some of the, you know, profound misdirection and just outright falsehood of how people construct these ideas of value for labor, I mean, we could we could talk about how there there are companies experiencing record profits even while saying, oh well you know inflation I mean we got to raise prices it's like bro you know, y'all are trying to tell you big dog these these gas prices going up I don't know what to tell you I price of the brick is up fam <laughs> yesterday's price is not today's not- price <laughs> I'm like yes but why are yesterday's wages still today's wages why are 20 years ago's wages still today's wages i'm like why everything are, why are yesterday's profits so small in terms in comparison to today's profits what's happening there right something but, uh, inconsistent you know inflation free market i mean people just start tossing words around listen as ways of insulating themselves from like just just admit you don't care about people I would be more comfortable if folk were just like, hey, fam, you know, I just got this uh, <laughs> multi-million dollar bonus for the year. And yeah, I'm chilling on the Riviera, big dog. Like, <laughs> I'd, ra- I'd rather people just, man, you know, <laughs> it's going to sound ridiculous because, I mean, I don't know when there were really any good old days for uh, Black folk in these United States. But I sometimes think about like, Man, you know, what about the good old days where you just, where people were unapologetically terrible? Like, I like, I, I like honest terribleness. I don't like, I don't like. Propagandized like, terrible. Right. This is like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like nice races. Nice races annoy me because I'm like, you trying so, you exert so much energy to pretend you're not the thing you are <laughs> you realize i can see you right right you know you're it's, as, as my grandmother would say you know you slip is showing right like <laughs> you you're you're more obvious than you than you want to admit and my and my thing is like i don't know because what i what i what i think about these things even the, whether we're talking about economic equality or you know racial equity whatever the case may be what always strikes me is you know, I don't actually need people to, you don't need to be all up in my face playing nice. Actually need folk to just like not be in my way of doing what I need to do to live a sustainable, satisfying, beautiful life. Like, no, I don't want to invite you to the cookout. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be at the cookout for us to be cool. What I, what I do, what I would like it's to not be going into debt to actually have a cookout because <laughs> oxtail is some ridiculous price <laughs> or meat prices are through the roof or, or like I can't even get good you know brother can't even get good chicken whole chicken wings no more right because like the market is just going wild like <laughs> I mean so like in so many respects man like the the good life is not contingent upon all the little token things folk try to throw at us man like good life for me really means a measure of freedom and dignity and genuinely man a measure of rest Mm -hmm. 
Like, can you sit down somewhere and not have to be getting up at somebody else's whim? Can you, can you actually sit and enjoy and savor this one beautiful, brief and precious life we have? Yeah, I've, I've, as we're discussing this, I'm thinking about um, just the journey to get to uh, an understanding of some of these things. And we've used the word insulated a lot. And I really love the imagery that, that comes with that. There's this idea of distancing ourselves from um, any thought of what the consequences of some of our pursuits are. And I, I want to be clear, like we we haven't always been at this place of our concept of, of what good living is and what it means to live uh, good together, right? Um, I think we are in, in lieu of, of, of passing judgment. It's just really asking the question is like, is, why, are, why are we avoidant when it comes to really thinking about the consequences of the choices that we make in the pursuit of uh, what is good for ourselves and our families, right? Um, I think a lot can be said, and particularly as we're seeing more um, Black folks achieve a measure of economic success, right? More Black folks that are moving into a position where uh, they could describe themselves as wealthy. Um, that we can get wrapped up in this idea of, you know, representation in this space being enough. Uh, and that that is some form of liberation or advancement for our community in general when in function, we're just not seeing it, right? If, if, you, if you look at the disproportionate numbers of folks dying from coronavirus, if you look um, at, uh, the continued, you know, the recent story with the NFL and Brian Flores and, you know, Jay-Z saying he was going to work with the NFL on whatever he was talking about. And that's not checkers. Came. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chess, not checkers, Twitter. I, I promised myself that I was not going to, uh, I told you so people. And so I will not use this platform to do that. I am just glad that if you were of the mindset that Jay-Z was going to actually do anything with the NFL uh, to improve anything in terms of race relations, whatever that means, that you have learned that no, in fact, he or no one of his ilk will do such a thing. Because yeah, they trying to get on with the people who are up there and the people up there do not care. They're not interested. That's how they got there. You know, I'm convinced folks place so much value in the perspectives and politics of the rich and the famous precisely because they want to hold out the possibility of them also being that someday. And I mean, I guess if that's what you if that's what you want out of your life, if that's what you think the good life is, cool. And I won't deny that once again, having resources can put you in a different frame of things. Having relationships with people with resources puts you in a different frame of things. Cause like let's, you know, let's keep it, let's keep it 100. Like I've been some places and seen some things because I was connected to people who were doing all right Word. and I you know I was not mad about it I savored the experience leaned in as it were and uh that was you know that was that but I also I'm also I'm also very clear that uh the good the good life for me cannot be about escapism it's for me, it's like it's 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 tantamount to, you know, folk who and, and I think we, we can we can relate to this. Right. Particularly as two two black men, and uh, you know, who work in academic spaces, how sometimes this idea of your advancement or your achievement on the individual level is often very contingent on 
how people interpret you as being able to adapt and assimilate. Mm-hmm. This idea that in order to have this particular kind of life, this kind of career, you've got to leave behind essential core aspects of who you are. You got to leave your blackness at the door. And for me, I, I just always thought like, well, man, I never thought of my blackness as a thing that needs to be excised or needs to be set aside in order for me to experience the goodness of life. In fact, I couldn't imagine, like I couldn't imagine not being a black man in this world. And for all of the challenges that come along with that societally in an anti-black world, I'm also like, yo, I very much savor and enjoy uh, what my life is. Like it's been a good life precisely because of the kinds of cultural experiences, the kinds of communal um, ideals and uh, possibilities that have been opened up. And I really deeply and truly enjoy that. I'm so glad to have models of possibility for what goodness and relationship look like that don't require uh, just these unearthly sacrifices. Because uh, I don't know, man, I feel like folk be giving up a lot to get to a thing that signifies as good to other people. Yeah. And to me, that's hustling. That's hustling backwards. Let me break my neck, break my back so I can stunt on other folk who honestly ain't that pressed about what I am or am not doing. That ain't it, boss. Yeah. When, when we when we even think about our own individual stories, the desires that are uh, embedded within in us and uh, the things that we believe ourselves to be created to do, I think all of that context matters in terms of how we pursue um, our, our purpose and, and what is good for us, right? Um, I think it is important that we evaluate the moments when we are being avoidant about really identifying what uh, our reason is for pursuing big things. So we, when we talk about the desire maybe to, to be rich or extremely wealthy or to even to be a billionaire, right? When I, I, I want to push folks who, who think that way. What is mm-hmm. it about that that you actually desire? What fulfillment of purpose is being addressed by that pursuit, right? What, what thing that, you know, if, if you believe you, your existence to be purposeful and, and to be by design, right? What is being addressed? What is being uh, uh, accomplished by getting to that point where you're just producing wealth or pursuing uh, this large amount uh, of, of capital. Um, I think it's, it's really, it really matters for us to not only evaluate that question, but also to think about getting to the root of, of who we are and de-embedding what we learned as the way of, as a way of being, or what is, what is culturally uh, been taught as a norm and really understanding what's possible outside of that norm or even questioning whether that norm of whether it's consumption or, or um, pursuit of, of, of wealth, if that norm is actually good for us or something that we truly desire, we got to uh, evaluate what's been placed within us and kind of go back to the beginning. Because without that pursuit of deep understanding of ourselves, it's, it makes it difficult for us to really p- truly pursue an idea of what a good life is or, or what the good life is, right? Um, and, and we it's, it's dangerous to get stuck in, in a cycle of chasing too, because there is a lack of fulfillment that gets built in. There's a lot of potential for uh, communal damage that that is there that that is embedded within that pursuit as well. I, I think we we all in our thinking about 
what we want or or what could be good for us really have to go back and assess like what what is it that my I, I think you've said something and I'm gonna botch the words probably but what is what is it that my soul desires for me to do right like what is it that the the I think you've said the work my soul must have is yes okay right? like Candy. what is that right what how do we get in touch with the the truth of that and if you know you believe that your that your your ancestors have something to do with it if if you believe that God has something to do with it, how do you get in tune with that thing? And I think some some of this work requires a bit of quiet, some self-evaluation, some getting back to yourself um, to really determine what is like a good use of your energy, what is a good pursuit and, and not being afraid to, to tear up your scratch pad page, right? And start anew and to erase something and, and maybe take a different path. Uh, and I can I can attest to having some of this fear myself and also trying to really work with the students that I mentor on, hey, come up with your own thing, figure out what you want to do with your life and don't let people dictate to you what is good and what has value. Boy, it makes me it makes me think of how I evaluate my life in this moment. We all have those times where we experience dissatisfaction in our lives. And we think, oh, this ain't it. Or man, if this could change or if that was different, then things would be great. But there are moments where I, I pause and I remember that one, in many respects, the life I'm living now is one where I'm doing things I used to imagine, used to dream about, used to hope for. Mm -hmm. I used to, you know, I used to want to, I was thinking like, man, I can't wait till I finish this PhD someday man, I can't wait till I'm a professor somewhere. Man, I can't wait till I got a tenure track job. And it was like, bruh, you actually did the things you imagined. But I will also say this, the life I'm living now is not only full of goodness, it's also a life that in many respects was not the plan yeah. I imagined from jump. And I think about how for all of the detours, all the, the transitions and transformations, the redirections, I like where I've ended up. Like there's something beautiful and good and joyful and satisfying about being where I am. And it's the recognition for me that the good life is a practice, not a destination. And so I that, and, and so rather than saying, you know, what is the good life? I start asking myself, well, what is good living? What is good doing? What is good being? And when I when I reframe in that way, I, I can reflect and find all of these moments of evidence that remind me that's good living. I, I will tell the story. One of the greatest, probably the greatest trip I've ever taken in my life. I took it at a time when I was broke. Like spent, you know, <laughs> what money I had to, to get on this trip. So friend of mine, a uh, friend of mine who I went to, to dev school with, uh, originally was from Hawaii and was getting married uh, during the sun, during one summer. So this was after, you know, my, my first year, year of school. I had left my job, uh, my previous job to go back to school because I felt like this is where, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to do. And now, you know, well over a decade later, I'm recognizing, yeah, this is, that was, you didn't see it all then, but like that was part of opening up the way towards this good life. So I'm back in school you know, working a little part-time situation. I got a little summer 
fellowship I'm doing. So I got a little money, but like not that much money. And uh, my buddy's like, hey, so, you know, my wedding is coming up in the summer. She tells me it's like about it's at least like six months, probably more before then. It's like wedding's coming up. It's going to be in Hawaii. We know that's a long way, but our our sort of thought was, well, to all of our friends, hey, if you can pay your way here, you are invited. Like, come on, let's make like this. Just make it make it a thing. And so I said to myself, when am I going to have the chance to go to Hawaii with not only really cool people I know, but also meeting a lot of other really dope people at the same time? So I said, man, I don't know what, I'm going to figure this out somehow. And so, uh, so we put together like just a whole like email chain of, Hey, so you all are my friends who have said like, you're trying to go, like, we're going to organize this, figure this out, make something happen. So a bunch of us ended up getting together and like renting some cars, renting, uh, this really dope house by the ocean. And, uh, you know, I scraped together money to get my plane ticket and we like spent like a good week plus in Hawaii. The wedding was like right in the middle of the week. So it was like great timing. So we had time before and time after. And man, we explored, we ate, we kicked it by the fire. I, you know, woke up crazy early because of jet lag and like sat in the backyard of this amazing house where the the grass was like a golf green and i sat and watched the sunrise and i just thought yo nothing's better. what is better than this and like i was broke <laughs> and I, like i i'd spent the money i had to like get there and like you know who made I'm not that broke no more, thankfully, but I realized like, man, you know, at the moment where your resources were like most depleted, you were actually able to access this experience with amazing and dope people that honestly is like one of the most memorable trips I've ever gone on, man. Like, <laughs> and we did it all, man. I was out here sea kayaking. I was out here hiking through rainforests. I was out here, you know, snorkeling with sea turtles like it was wild and i was just like bruh that's when you when you had a little your relationship to someone made possible an experience that like i could afford to go on vacation now thankfully but it wouldn't be the same but like, i could go by myself but like fam there's nothing like being in that house with those folks. There's nothing like us all barbecuing together, us sitting yeah. around the table debating and talking about like our life stories. And like, there's a richness to it that like the beauty of that could have happened anywhere. Although I'm very glad it happened in Hawaii. <laughs> but all that to say, like the good life really is in relationship, man. And good living is in relationship. Completely agree. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, uh, one of the things that I that I think about when having experiences like the one that you just described is again an an old Kanye line, <laughs> "Man, why can't life always be this easy?" Right? Uh, and I think I've said that to you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gone somewhere. <laughs> uh, but man, it's it's. Uh, it draws attention to the idea that maybe we're not getting this right in associating everything that we do with having to work toward getting to the moments where we get to really sit back and enjoy our life and living it. And so it matters for us to reevaluate, to take a moment and to ask, is this really the way it ought to be yeah this can't be life <laughs> it's gotta there. be more gotta be all right man well that concludes another episode of black men unlearning 
Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time. Take it easy, y'all. All right, peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.